Stacy Glover. Melanie. You're listening to Cinema Parlor. How's everybody doing? Good. I'm just sitting here, sipping on some Knob Creek Old Fashioned. You feeling your oats today, huh? It's pretty good. We should probably explain that we're all having the same like pre-made cocktail set on the rocks, premium cocktails. Hell yeah. Courtesy of Costco. Yeah, a delicacy really. Uh, I've I've got a mai tai going, and uh, it's a lovely sweet tangy treat. We we'll put the alcohol in there. Cruisin, cruisin, <laughs> rum. <laughs> Nolan, actually, would you Ooh, say? Yeah, this will fit for your. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, your wonderful this pronunciation is go skills. Um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and speak on Melanie's drink here. It's a jalapeno pineapple margarita. We all had a sip of this. It's very nice. Very, very it tasty. It has a spice at the end, and it's not overly sweet. It's not sickeningly sweet. It's good. Beautifully tasteful. So how would you pronounce the... Crafted with tres generaciones. <laughs> we got some good <laughs> drinks going today. We got a good show on the way. We're going to be doing our... Best of or favorites or whatever you want to call it of 2021. You know, it was another strange year. So we're going to have some strange lists for you guys. Not traditional. Mm-hmm. It's not a polished. These are the best films of whatever given year. It's more of this is what we got to and this is what happened. Yeah. 2021 and 2020 have been tough for me. Other years, I usually watch like 100 to 120 new movies of, of like the actual year movies. I just... I don't know. I don't know if my caring is going down less or I just, I don't know. A lot of these movies that I've missed, I would like to catch up with and I will at some point. I just didn't have it in me. So I watched what I did and this list will be what it is for now. Yeah. There was a lot that I didn't catch, but I strangely think that like this last year was probably the most movies I've watched in a year. I want to say that my letterbox told me at the end of the year is like 450 some. Dang, that was a good year, man. Melanie. Whenever you get down to the crunch of the last couple of years, watching all the new movies, it feels like a chore more and more. And yeah. that's not to say that I don't enjoy the movies that sure. come out. It just starts to feel yeah. like, okay, I have to do this thing. I've got to watch mm-hmm. this, this, and this. And mostly very serious. Sure. So it's just hard for me to get into a mode where it's like, okay, let's just go ahead and watch all these three-hour, very serious yeah. films. Very long. To- yeah, yeah. I feel in the mood for it. that was definitely an issue with me is, you know, I've got, I don't know, somewhere around like 10 movies that I, I really wanted to watch, but they were all between two and three hours long. And it's like, I just, I've got to make that time. And then also like as a personal problem, Elden Ring just came out and I just poured 25 hours of my time into that. And I'm like, you know what? This is satisfying me right now. And this is what I'm going to do. Trying to split your limited personal time between mm-hmm. films, reading, writing and playing video games it's just like sure. this is what this is what we got to mm-hmm. you left out wrestling oh yeah sorry wrestling right. um sports goblin rumpus time yeah mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into this mm-hmm. 
But yeah, so we got some lists today. Hope you all enjoy them. We'll be going uh, this, this, that way, and the other. But uh, yeah, I think we'll have some good stuff to recommend. So I love your confidence in the quality of this episode. Hey, you know what? We got takes, man. You know? <laughs> Hot takes. Giving them to you. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I will say on on my list today, I've got two lists. There'll be two top tens, and I will basically when I go down, I'll I'll do them from ten to one, and on each one, I'll name my number ten of twenty twenty one and my number ten discovery of last year, which would be non twenty one movies I saw for the first time. What about you guys? How you guys want to go about it? Well, if you listened to us last year, I believe that I interjected with a bunch of micro list and i intend to do the same this year that's what we both did okay so i'll start with my number 10 film of 2021 and i'm going with bad trip directed by kateo sakuri if i failed his name i'm sorry (laughs) so actually this this just made my list i actually just watched this like before we recorded and I thought this was one of the funniest movies I saw from 2021. This is a Netflix film. I think it was supposed to come out in 2020, but got delayed for 2021. Uh, this stars Eric Andre and Tiffany Haddish. Also, Lil Ray Howery. Kind of just like a road trip comedy of two guys, but it's not like standard. It's the way they set up stuff is a lot in the jackass form. And it it's like anything I've really seen on the comedy as far as the form goes. And it, it really made me laugh. There were some standout scenes in particular. There's a scene where they go uh, to a Texas club slash bar. And Eric Andre's character gets very drunk on shots. And basically, he they're taking a road trip to from Florida to New York to try to find this girl that he claims he's in love with that he went to school with and she invited him to her uh, art show in New York. And so on the way there, like he's just talking about how much he wants to fall in love with her and everything. And so when they get to this bar, like he gets really drunk and just is just being emotional, being ridiculous about wanting to love this girl and how much he needs her. And so he just flies off the handle. He ends up climbing on top of this stage area like scaffolding yes he ends up falling into this huge area of boxes and everything injures himself and then like people are like really concerned trying to help him and then he just uncontrollably starts vomiting everywhere and it's like a nasty vomit it went everywhere it really got me there's a few scenes that i just lost it in this movie i agree i think this movie is really funny what i really enjoyed about the film is i like because sometimes like these prank movies can be kind of mean to the sure. bystanders. This film is kind of like weirdly warm to oh, the yeah. strangers that they interact with. Yeah. A lot of the people are, they seem nice and caring and trying to help these guys on their journey. Yeah, it and seems like with Jackass, they always edit like the worst reactions in because they think that's funnier. With this, it's like, I don't know if everyone that they ran into was just this genuinely nice or what the setup was, but it is very sweet and sincere, and people are just trying to help. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a really good prank movie that's kind of like a nice reinforcement of like the human Humanity. condition, especially yeah. after this last for his, like two year stretch. In general, how awful people are right now. It yeah. is like one of those movies where it's like almost everywhere you go, like people are 
generally concerned about the well-being and willing to help these people yeah so yeah it's it's really good and (laughs) yeah it just as someone who did a lot of dumbass pranks in my childhood this this genre will always have a special place in my heart like the jackass movies in particular this was also i think produced by jeff tremaine who directs those movies as well but so i mean it was you know from from that same group of people but yeah, I'll, it's just something I always connect with, and I, I enjoy this type of humor. Hello there, Andre. Yeah, he's really good in it. He's yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so is Tiffany Haddish. She's like she's she's <laughs> super funny too. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's really great. With that, I will also now talk about my number ten discovery of twenty twenty one, and that is going to be a movie that we talked about on one of the first episodes i think the first episode of 2021 and that would be lucio fulci's conquest (laughs) if you want to know more of my thoughts on this movie you can listen to that episode this is 1983 it's a fantasy film of sorts and it is a good time i would uh recommend getting high for watching the film because i think it will help in your journey but anyway those are my number 10s I have a list of things that annoyed me over the last year. Okay. Number one, long movies. And it's mostly long movies that don't earn their run time. I feel like there's a lot of movies that are overly long for no reason. Movies that do earn their run time. Bring back intermission. Mm. Yeah. Lawrence of Arabia's got an intermission. Been her... But what's frustrating is you have some movies that are really good. It's like, man, if you would have cut 15 minutes out of this, it would have been even better. Yeah. There's a lot of chuffa that doesn't need to be in often. Also, certain genre films. Why are kids films two hours now? That's too long. Comedies. Why are comedies two, two and a half hours? I feel like that's like Judd Aptow's fault. And horror films. The Exorcist is two hours and perfect. Most horror films now... I feel like they're coming out. They're two, two and a half hours. They don't earn it. I don't need to see a two-hour slasher. Ridiculous. Bring back the 90-minute film. Give me intermission for films that are long that need to be long. I think this is a fair complaint, and I get behind it. Complaint number two. Fatigue over people complaining about comic book movie fatigue. Hmm. I listen to you know a lot of podcasts. People bitch about like eh, comic book movies and shit. And it's like, it's just been going on and on and on. It's like... Just watch what you like. There's stuff out there, you know? Like, there are streamers that are paying, like, Marty, like, 200 million bucks to make, like, his epics. That wouldn't have happened in the 90s. It didn't ruin the film industry. Stop bitching. Marvel and Disney are, like, trying to shove their movies down your throats the way people act like they are. It's like, you you can avoid all that stuff if you want. I don't watch trailers for anything because I just want to go in and experience stuff now. And I guess, like, I'm not on social media too much, so... I, I'm not exposed to... I don't know what the advertising is on there, but... I mean, you can mute full companies. I just feel like there... I feel like we live in an age where there's more variety now. And, like, these trends, they happen. People got pissed off about the Westerns. Now people love Westerns. People got pissed off about Universal Horror movies. People love those now. Hammer Horror. Number three. Games with Bloat. Shouldn't take ten hours to get into a game. I thought you just said gays with bloat, and I was like, that is highly offensive. Ah, No! (laughs) Video games! Games with bloat. It shouldn't take me ten hours to see the credits. Like, I shouldn't... 
have to play a game for five to ten hours to see the title of the game. Now I just was hope. I, now I just wish you would have said gays with blue. But I didn't say that. <laughs> you, like, you guys are trying to force a hate crime. No, <laughs> I just didn't hear you. You didn't enunciate games. I'd rather have a short game that I can replay instead of like a two hundred hour game that's like so daunting. That's like, when am I going to start this? I know it's going to take forever. Award shows number four. Be more relevant. Go back to celebrating movies. I feel like people are down on the Oscars and stuff in the 90s. It seemed like everybody liked the Oscars. Well, here's the thing. Even if the nomination, whatever the nominees you weren't into, Oscars were fun to watch. Lately, it's just been a weird mess. I feel like the last good produced show was the Jimmy Kimmel one where they literally, it was just a celebration of film where Brad Pitt got on and talked about War of the Gargantuans. Love that. Like, yeah. that shit's good. That's what I want to see as a film fan. Don't cut awards. Don't make it... Like, I want to see fucking editors and cinematographers get up and be celebrated. I want to see sound designers be celebrated. Like, I don't need whatever you're putting in the show. That's It's still going to be three hours. Also, like, if, you're, if you... The musical numbers and, like, musical nominations... All play the whole fucking song. Play the whole song. I don't want a medley. I don't want a quick little... Da, 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 and then, like, no. yank them off. It's, like, one of the best moments... The moments I think of when I think of, like, the Oscars. It's, like, when Mighty Wind came out. Like, having Eugene yeah. Levy go out there and fucking sing the whole song. Absolutely. Or, like, South Park, the, you know, movie. Robin Williams came out and did Blame Canada. If it's just gonna be, like, a low-key... Jokes about COVID and Russia and all other bullshit. Like, nobody wants to see that. Celebrate movies. People love movies. Number five, couch co-op. Halo, what the hell? You're <laughs> launching without couch co-op? I'm not buying an Xbox until you put couch co-op in there. They came out with the Boulder Gate Dark Alliance 3. They said they were putting couch co-op. They haven't put couch co-op yet. Bring back couch co-op. I think that was an excellent list. Thank you. Do you want to say something nice about the gays? I, what are you talking about? I just can't believe that you guys are forcing these words into my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> of course I love the gays. We here at Cinema Parlor, we love the gays. We love the bloat. We love everyone. I mean, I'm bloated almost every day. So Same. I mean, I, I eat a lot of things I shouldn't. All right, Melanie, you got a list for us? Here's the thing. I was going to go with my biggest disappointments, but you just did a list of complaints. So it's odd, but also in a nice way, we can make Nolan seem like the most positive one on the podcast. <laughs> I am going to be the most positive. It doesn't this happen episode. that often. <laughs> biggest disappointments. These are all films, not, not just generalized disappointments, but I support what you hated. <laughs> Number one. Well, it's the fifth one, but the first one. Mm. Number five. The Deep House. Mm. We all watched this. That was a disappointment. Here's the thing. I thought it was a cool concept. It's kind of a mashing of genres. It's not really found footage, but there's some of that. And it's, you know, kind of just this adventure horror film. It starts off really cool. Simple concept. These adventure, uh, what, do you, what do they call it? Like urban explode. Urban Explorers, I think is what it is. I think YouTubers. Right. Yeah, they're Urban mm -hmm. Explorers. They YouTube, mm -hmm. they vlog all their adventures. They're going to a, like, a sunken house in a French lake, and that's the setup. Cool. You They get down there, you think some creepy things are going to happen. And the underwater photography, I tried to look up how they filmed this, and I couldn't find that much. I would watch a making of on this. It looked so cool. Mm -hmm. Quickly... Turns into just a red, bubbly mess. You can't yep. see anything. Very generic ghosts. I kind of wish they would have done... 
a traditional ghost story, a woman in white luring unfaithful men to their watery graves. I think something like that mm-hmm. would have been cool. It would have fit the beautiful cinematography that was happening yeah. at the beginning of the film. Didn't expect that much, but I was really interested in watching it. And then when I got into the rhythm of it, I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is this looks great. Yeah. Fully dropped off, I would say, probably like right after they get into the house, whenever the haunting actually well, starts. Like 40 minutes in. Yeah. I, I'm with you. It was it was a disappointment for me as well because of the concept. It was really cool. It's yeah. Well, and I feel like I will say to their credit, I feel like it had some Inferno vibes. Like nothing in this movie is as good as the first 15 minutes of Inferno. It's set in France, so mm-hmm. it's like you could have done Mesloumi. I'm pronouncing it wrong, but it's basically like this folklore uh, ghost of vengeance. It's a female water creature that can look very beautiful, but she's a monster and she will eat you. I it's, like that. Like that could have been cool. Like that would have been it, sick. It just it could have been anything else. I was just so disappointed. Bring those sea monsters on. Yeah, it's like it's a cult family that Mm -hmm. like sorry spoilers. It's a cult family was sacrificing children to Satan. Maybe I don't know. I was so out of it. Yeah, it was disappointing. Anyways, I mean, I guess still watch it. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Number two, Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Oh fuck that movie! I was so excited for this movie, and we just last year we did a huge tell-all episode on all of the Resident Evil films as it stood at the time. I was kind of, I was excited about this one. It is... It starts off okay. It is really bad. It is really, really bad. The action is not fun. It's... It is just... I, I don't know. If you're a fan of the series, if you're a fan of the other movies, I don't think you're gonna like this. I... And probably one of the biggest fans <laughs> yeah. of the games oh, and the property itself. Yeah. Like, I read the fucking novelizations. <laughs> like, I love Resident Evil. Yeah. This movie is not what I wanted. Mm. And it sucks because it's like the guy who made it, it seems like he knows Resident Evil. Because there are... But there's so many references to the games, but it's like, it's done in the dumbest way. He took two stories that needed to be separated and mashed them together And the action, like, compared to, like, the Paul W.S. Anderson ones, it looks like shit. And it's stale. Yeah. It's nothing innovative. It's nothing exciting. I'm sure I'll watch it someday. You like that filmmaker, don't you? Yeah. Isn't he the one who did the Strangers Pray at Night? Yeah. 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 So I I liked that movie. And didn't he do the shark movies? 47 meters. 47 meters. Which I like the first one a lot, which that'll come up here in a minute. So yeah, he's a filmmaker that I'm always interested by, you know, and I'll watch this one sometime, but you're not the first one to say that. He does seem like he is a fan because there's some weird Easter eggs that you would have to, and I think he wrote it. Uh, I think he wrote and directed it. Yeah. He is clearly a fan of the series. So you would think someone that has love and admiration for the property would have done a little bit better. It definitely has, it has the feel of it's overstuffed and it doesn't, which I think being overstuffed makes it flow worse. Yeah. And it definitely has the feel of like, well, these are my two favorite games. So like I need to put everything I can from those two games into this movie, make one good movie and then maybe you'll get another. This was another one that it took a little while for the disappointment to really kick in. And once the action starts, it was just like, this is not what I needed. Yeah. So yeah, that was, again, I would recommend watching it. I think you should watch all of these things. Just because it doesn't work for me doesn't mean it's sure. not going to work for somebody else, obviously. 
this is kind of, this is just a generalized disappointment. Most of the horror films that came out last year, the third act. Okay. There's so many of these films, and I know there's some that you still haven't seen, I think, so I won't get... There's there's a good chunk of them yeah. that I haven't. But I'll just... I made a really quick list of things as I was going over this. Candyman, The Night House, Censor, Gaia. They're pretty cool. Like, I like a lot of them, and then there's just something that happens towards the third act that just shits the bed so hard for me that I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, that wasn't a bad movie, but I also probably won't ever watch it again. Sure. It's just not into it. Oh, what was uh, Saint Maud? Saint Maud. Yeah, I wasn't another, into that film that either. That was another one where uh, there's there's a twisty twist, which I did like, but I also didn't like. I just felt that is things. a movie I did catch up with recently, and I yeah, I had a hard time with it. Yeah, there's but, things I like. There's a lot I like horror last year. There's a lot of cool stuff. Just the third acts, which that's just. A lot of films. Then you got the anomaly, Malignant, which has a killer third act, but the rest of the movie sucks ass. That will also come up on another <laughs> list that I have momentarily. <laughs> nice. Moving right along. This is also kind of a cheat because I didn't watch the whole thing, but I love a Muppet special. And this is one. <laughs> I've just got to tell you Gonzo hosting a haunted mansion Muppet special. I was like, this is going to be so awesome. I shut it off within the first 15 minutes. Because Gonzo and Rizzo are the ones that should team up for something like this. It's freaking Gonzo and the shrimp. It's the shrimp. shrimp. Yeah. And, fuck which that. I love. I love the shrimp, but they don't have the same type of chemistry. It just, it was frustrating to me because they did one a couple years ago. I feel like it was a Christmas Gaga special. Yeah, with Lady Gaga. Good. I can't get through any of these. And, and that's not a dig to Gaga. It's just they're not as good as they used to be. Justice then, for Rizzo. Justice for Rizzo, absolutely. Gonzo's my favorite Muppet. I yeah. love the Haunted Mansion. The Haunted Mansion has a lot of cool lore and like the story behind everything with the, the attraction of Disney. Super cool. I was so excited. It was just a bummer for me. Number five disappointments. Great White. Mm. I was so excited for this movie. And I don't even remember it. Because it was that bad. I looked and it's not one that I uh, logged, I don't believe. It is such a boring film. The shark looks stupid. It's so stupid. Like, it is... <laughs> I will say, 47 meters below. That, the first one, it's not great. That is the movie I would recommend over this one. Even the sequel is better, which I didn't really love. Uncaged or whatever. Yeah. I will, But I'll continue to watch every single shark film that comes out. Because I was waiting for this for probably... I like six months. I was very excited. As soon as it went on Amazon, I was like, I gotta watch it. This wasn't it. That's not good. This wasn't what I needed from a a monster movie. Not every shark film can be the shallows. No, just don't watch it. I actually wouldn't recommend it. You know what? Don't waste your money. Had Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City just been Resident Evil Sharks. We could have got sharks. Having sharks. Good list, guys. Okay, I'll move on to my number nines here. So, my number nine film of 2021, I've got a documentary called The Witches of the Orient, directed by Julian Ferrat, or Ferrault, I'm not sure. I'm going to say Ferrat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So, this is, I'm just going to read the synopsis here from Letterboxd. The Japanese volleyball players called the Oriental Witches are now in their 70s from the formation of the team at the factory until their victory at the Tokyo Olympics in 1964. Memories and legends rise to the surface and blend uh, inextricably. Um, So yeah, this is a a documentary that I watched on movie. And like it says, it's, it's about the 
1964 Japanese women's volleyball team that won gold. And this is, it, it blew me away. Like it's a really fascinating story and it's formally very interesting with a lot of uh, animation mixed in and uh, different aspect ratios and cutting um, very rhythmically cut. Um, there's a lot of montage segments where uh, there, there's music being played over these this volleyball team who worked in a factory and through their factory they started a volleyball team and so these montages will show uh, them working in their factory and then practicing for the volleyball so you get that mindset of volleyball having to work like a factory because it's a team sport so you have to get those rhythms and everything in line for it to work properly as you would working for a factory to get everything processed correctly so it's very fascinating and it's just a great story they got this nickname uh because they won over 200 and i think 250 games straight this volleyball team which is a world record that's never been broken and you get to see a lot of old footage that they actually captured of of you know of, of their games in the olympics and some of the games prior and it's insane like just how good athletes these ladies were and their coach was like he he was a vet of he was in the mil in the military and he's just this hard-nosed dude and he like the way he coached was these girls so they would have to get up at like six in the morning they would go to the factory and have to be at work by seven or eight whatever it is they work until one o'clock they get a quick lunch then straight from there they go to volleyball practice and their coach keeps them keep coach keeps them there until they get their shit right so they're sometimes there from until 12 o'clock at night and they don't eat dinner until then just in time to go to bed just get enough sleep just to wake up the next day do it all over again it's insane it's such a cool story it's a great documentary and I think it's one of the year's better documentaries that I personally saw. I feel like every year that we've done this, you do this thing where you sell a film so well that I really want to see it. <laughs> so, like, how, how do you go about watching this film? I, I feel like, what was it, like, the last year or so, you, you did this with the Aretha Franklin documentary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> this this one is on movie. So you anybody who has access to that can check it out. Yeah, so, it sounds right up my alley. Yes, I think you would both enjoy it quite a bit. With that said, my number nine film for my discoveries of 2021, another movie we have talked about on this show. So if you want to hear us go on about it, it would be Excalibur 1981, directed by John Borman. And uh, yeah, this movie kicked ass, and it's everything I love about uh, you know, fantasy film. So we have an episode where yeah. we cover this extensively. Check it out. So yeah, those are my number nines. Melanie, what do you got? Biggest surprises. All right. Just things that I was really wasn't expecting, and they just took me things by storm. That got you good. Yeah. So I'll start with *Malignant*, the third act. Mm -hmm. So this is. I'm not gonna spoil it outright, but spoilers. I did not like Malignant. I thought that movie, the first, which there's nothing, I love a good Lifetime movie. There's nothing wrong with it. But the way people were talking about Malignant going in first, they were like, it's got giallo stuff. It's horror, you know, psychological horrors, mm -hmm. all this stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. So I sit down and whenever it starts, I'm like, 
this seems very melodramatic and weird, but not in a fun way. I'm not into this. Whenever the swerve comes is the only thing I liked about this movie. Once you get to that third act for the reveal, which it's not even that I love the reveal that much, but I like whenever stuff is bug nuts and things. Yeah, it gets loony. Doesn't save the movie for me. And I don't know how often I would rewatch it. And I also feel like they kind of do Zoe Bell dirty during the swerve scene, which is neither here nor there, but I just don't like it. This, this third act was something. I would watch that again. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, it was, it, I was highly entertained during the last act, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, that was, that was something that I was kind of annoyed through most of that movie. Only, not even because it was so actively bad or anything like that. Again, people should watch it. A lot of people did, and a lot of people loved it. So, I feel like we're kind of a minority for how we all felt about this. I just, there was so long that I was sitting there, and I, typically, I don't even care about other people's opinions but i was like really questioning people that i know what did what what did you watch that i am not watching you liked it didn't you no okay yeah no we're all in the same boat here oh i know that sometimes we disagree about things. oh yeah i definitely. thought that was one of those that that was one we agree on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. how about that yeah so next up i'm gonna sound like a little bit of an animation snob for a second there's been some bigger Disney films recently, Pixar films, that I didn't love. And it's not that... They're it's, they're fine. They're always fine. But it doesn't have the same magic that they used to. The car sequels. Yeah. They make films for kids. Kids love those films. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do love a good animated film. I love a good kids film. I was not expecting Encanto to be as good as it was. Encanto kind of, and it's one that even I started after I had watched it, I liked it more and more. Going into this, my thing was, it didn't look as pretty as Coco. I feel like it's just gonna be, it'll be fine, whatever. I just wasn't excited. It kind of felt like a chore, like this was, you know, a new film I had to watch, so I was gonna get it over with. But after the first song, and it goes into the strong sister at pressure, mounting pressure or something, the, the sister, I feel like her name's... Lucia, she's great. Loved it. And I have a very young niece. She's turning three this year who's representation for characters that look like her. And she loved it. The animation is actually really great. The songs are great. And it's just a very sweet film. I really liked it. I was not expecting to like it because again, Disney's just kind of had a slump for me in, in that realm a little bit late, lately. A lot of people are probably like, of course it's going to be good, but I just wasn't expecting it to be. And I really liked it. Then next up, uh, I don't know if I've been going one or three or <laughs> where I am in this, but <laughs> my next in this list of five is Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. This is one that I thought was going to be a dumb... I don't know if this is a Saturday Night Live film, but... I think it is. Okay, so those have a tendency to be not great. It is so funny, and it shouldn't be. It's stupid. It's dumb. Everything that you would think about it going into it, it is all those things. Jamie Dornan <laughs> in this is on another level. He has a musical sequence that is phenomenal, which that will also come up later in another list that I have as a sidebar. I just didn't expect this to be as funny as it. And it, honestly, it was kind of sandwiched into like watching other 2021 films that's like, okay, fine, I've got to get this over with. And this was just one watched on like a Sunday afternoon and it hit the right spot of what I needed. Nice, easy peasy. 
It's just nice. Yeah, I want to catch up with this one. Is one that I again one I had on my list and I haven't got to. It would be worth pausing the episode. Go to YouTube, type in Barb and Star. Go to Vista Del Mar. Jamie Dornan song. Type that in there. It's worth it. You'll enjoy it. And he's so good in the movie that it's just yeah. It's a fantastic stupid comedy. Yeah, yeah. I so, really digged it. It was just one that I was again. I was I was surprised by. It's, Good call by you. Yeah, number four or two, depending on which way we're going. <laughs> Halloween Kills did not like Halloween twenty eighteen. Yeah, it's the first David Gordon Green. Okay, both of you had issues with that. It's film. not that I. It's not. I, I should correct. It's not that I disliked the film. I didn't. I liked it. There's and there's some stuff that I absolutely loved. But there is a, which I won't get into, I feel like we talked about it on a, an episode at some point. There is a subplot with a character in the film that I fucking hate. And it's not the podcasters. All that stuff I actually like. They're annoying, but they're, they serve a purpose being annoying. There's a lot that I do like. But there's just, that, that whole segment of the film put a nasty, bitter taste in my mouth. So going into Halloween Kills... I was excited because I'm a horror fan, so like anytime you give me more of something, I'm thankful. Make a billion horror sequels, put them all in space. Going into this, I had a low expectation. My bar was low. I love this movie. I was blown away. I was on board with all, and I, there's so much that I, after watching it, that I could see other people's reactions where it's like, oh, that's totally fair. I understand people that love the first film coming into this and being like, this was dog shit. I get that take too. If it if this wasn't for you, it worked for me. The evil must die or evil dies tonight, whatever. All that stuff worked for me, and it's kind of heavy handed, but in an operatic way that I like. I just it worked for me. Nolan, you haven't seen this one, have no, you? Haven't I, seen this I, which one. I won't get into anything else. But. Well, okay, so I'll just go ahead and talk about it now because this made my best of Sorry. or my faves of the year. Love this film. I know you guys didn't like 2018. I guess I was so enamored by the form. Like, I think David Gordon Green's direction was so on point. So this movie, because you never know what to expect with horror sequels. I think this is a top tier Halloween sequel movie. The music's phenomenal still. It covers a lot of current. It's very much about mob mentality. And shit that we've got kind of going on today in our political specter. It is kind of nice that that shit maybe is dissipating a little bit in like the big public eye. I would say if you're going on a baseline thing for the movie, this idea, the American idea that a good guy with a gun will always defeat the bad guy. I think it's very cool that it seems like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride had a very clear vision for the direction that they were going to go with their trilogy. And if this second film is any indication, it seems like they have a very different vision for what each film is going to be. And I'm sorry to hijack the segment and make all this shit go longer. It's just, this feeds into, and we'll skip over, you know, that later on. So Melanie, since you didn't love the 2018 one, did this new one give you any different perspective or appreciation for that film because of the characters it introduced? Yeah, which I... And what I, changes they go through? I kind of assumed this would make one of your lists at some point. So I didn't want to... I didn't have a lot to say about it because I, I didn't want to hijack it from you. I still hate 
the things that I hate about that first film, but also you need everything that's in that film, everything, to get to this film. You, all, even the annoying storyline, it does serve a purpose. Again, I still don't like it, but it makes sense to why why we got where we were in Halloween Kills and then setting up Halloween Ends. It might even play better to watch them back to back. Like if you haven't seen 2018 in a while and you haven't seen this one yet, I would watch them back to back. And even Cranky Noni can agree that that tracking shot in the 2018 one is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a good shot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to get this right this time in the words of Al Pacino from The Irishman. Charge with a gun, with a knife you run. Charge with a gun, with a knife you run. You run. It's good advice. So, Do you have one more? I hijacked your whole segment. Yeah, you, no, it's fine, because I had five. So my last one, I maybe that should have been the, the biggest surprise. Cause, but <laughs> the biggest surprise for me, though, of last year was Army of the Dead. I was so shocked at how much I love this movie. I didn't, I, and it's not like I'm a, a Snyder snob either way. It's not that I love or hate him. I kind of feel just nothingness. I loved this movie. This is, and I am someone that gets severe zombie fatigue where I'm kind of just like, I like the zombie stuff I like and that is it. I don't have room for anything else. It's filled. I love this. I love whenever zombie, zombie stuff is like, kind of bizarre, bonkers, high concept. I loved Zombie King and Queen. Intro of this film is so killer. I loved it. Another one I haven't seen. I think the only... The fuck, man? I'm so sorry. Well, there's there's <laughs> the, something yeah. else I was going to say about that. I won't say it. The only movie on your list, I think, is Deep House that I, I've seen. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, I, I didn't bother me. But... I'm surprised just because, like, you're... I know you probably don't like Zack Snyder because of his DC work, which, you know, I get it. Like, outside of Watchmen, I don't really like that shit. Mother's Box. Put that on a list of poopers. Like, <laughs> Justice League, still a bad movie. Doesn't matter if you made it four hours long, it's still bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I felt a lot whenever those... Mother's Box. When those girls were singing for Aquaman in the... I felt a lot that of was things. a high point. I felt things. It was kind of like that music video that I really liked from the 80s. Hey oh hey hey oh hey oh life in a little town yeah 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 that music video is better than fucking Justice League and it's only three minutes long so you would dig Army of the Dead because of the formalism I'll check it out sometime there's some silly melodramatic stuff but Batista's really fucking good I I really liked it. I agree with Mel. I was so in. So, sorry. that I feel like that list went on for no, a very no long problem. time. It's my fault. <laughs> Solid list, you know? All right. We're moving on to my number eight now. Uh, so, we'll be doing number eight of 2021 first. And with that, I have an old movie, but it was its first time premiere. This would be The Amusement Park, directed by George A. Romero. So, this was a lost film of his. This... Uh, from Letterboxd, an elderly gentleman sets out for what he thinks will be a normal day at an amusement park and is soon embroiled in a waking nightmare. Uh, produced in 1973, the amusement park was shelved after the Lutheran Society, which had commissioned it as an educational film about elder abuse and ageism, refused to release it due to its disturbing content. It premiered at the American Film Festival in New York in June 1975 and was a finalist in the competition but went otherwise released. It was believed lost until a print was discovered 
in 2017, shortly before Romero's death. It was subsequently given a 4K restoration. So this, uh, I believe, is streaming. It was, anyway, on Shudder. This, this is one that, I don't know if you remember this, after you watched yeah. it, you talked to me about it for a very long time. I, it's like yeah. you needed to exercise the experience from your body. It was highly disturbing. Yeah, as, you were like, I loved yeah. it, but I feel real weird. As someone, and I'm sure a lot of people out there feel the same way, as someone who deals with the thought of growing older and dealing with different types of bodily aches and... Well, one of my top fears, just in general, Alzheimer's or like being trapped losing in your, your body. thoughts and mind. Yeah, uh, you know, and you are like a Cronenberg. Yeah, I got all kinds of issues. So you, you know? think the older you get, you're going to develop extra lens? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so <Will> you start <laughs> collecting your parts in a jar via the fly. I mean, maybe. Nice. Would you? Show it could them? be. I'll, I'll share them. I'll display them in front of God and everyone. Would you pickle your penis? Yeah. If it falls, it gets jarred. <laughs> Good motto. Luckily, you've got some time before you can you can come up with a better workshop, a better. Yeah, this is all just. Phrase. You're assuming his now. penis isn't going to fall off soon. I think he's got some good years left. I'm sturdy. I, <laughs> uh, I will say, I'm just you know he continued. Romero continues to horrify even beyond the grave. Uh, like I said, as someone who contemplates aging almost daily, this was terrifying. Look, if you're Romero Stan like we are looking for to get chills sent down the, the spine, go watch this. So, so you you would say, like, as a humane thing, you advocate for Soylent Green. Absolutely. All right. It's people. <laughs> to coincide with my number eight here, for my number eight of my favorite discovery of 2021, I have Walter Hill's 1982 film 48 hours stars the great nick nolte and eddie murphy yeah it made me laugh i will say there's a bar scene of a like confederate slash redneck bar scene that's like an all-timer for me loved the use of san francisco as a shooting location there the james horner score just that shit rips the like i said murphy and nolte at their team up in chemistry their banter it's peerless and I also, I think one important thing I have to say from the movie, for as old as I am, for some reason, I was never really inclined to know the term trim. And I wait, under... Yeah. Wait, wait, I, wait, wait, wait. I, I had never... This is the first film that you This heard? was the first... So, like, in high school, college, you never heard? I didn't. Ex I don't know what that says or means okay, about me. give but, a definition, please. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm basically looking, looking to get... Looking to score... Can I say, some, I'll say derogatory, it's going to get edited here, but you're looking for pussy, okay? Why would that get edited? I, I hope it doesn't. You're looking for some, okay? And I like that some term. Strange. It made me laugh really I hard. I believe you've never heard that. I know, it was, some trim. it blew me away. It, you know, the funny thing is, I, after, like, since I've watched that movie, the way most things work in life, like, I've heard it's podcasts everywhere. and stuff where people say it. Again, I, I, I loved most everything about this movie, but in particular, the older I get, I have a strong soft spot for just great physical stunt work and action scenes. The less we get away from that, the more I embrace what we have. Well, the world needs more James Remar. All right, we're back. We had a quick intermission. We had to refill our drinks. We're going to talk about these new drinks we got real quick. So, 
my second drink here, I've got a margarita from On the Rocks, obviously, crafted with Hornitos. Hornitos? Hornitos? Yeah. <laughs> Hornitos. He's saying it over and over again is helping, so yes. I'm drinking the aviation. It is uh, gin with some vegetable juice, and uh, it is from Larios. And I am having a, just a basic a cosmopolitan. This is, I'm honestly not certain if this is just effin vodka. Because mm. that's what it looks, but it could be Ethan. Mm. Ethan. How come I have to have the bad name, hard names? You picked them. <laughs> the bad names? You picked what you drank. Bad you from, also. Bad for my mind, okay? Not in general. I just, I can't say things sometimes. It's the really... proper way. You want to shout out. Foreign drinks and foreign film, but you can't pronounce them. I'm a man of taste, but I don't have the proper etiquette. Stacy's next list. Best old games of 2021. So these are games that I have played, but this this combo of games was very important for me this year. And that is, I played through the entire Halo and Gears of War series. Number two, Yakuza 0. This game is a fucking masterpiece. It feels like the most natural progression of that genre, and that's kind of a genre that's dead. Number three, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Oh, you know I have things to say. Oh, I know. You have to do Cassandra if you're playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. This boy, Nolan, he did Alexios. Mm -hmm. He's kind of a dumbass. Yeah! <laughs> no, even, even whenever you meet him, yeah. spoiler alert, whoever you don't play, you're still going to meet in the game. Not Your brother and sister, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, we've all played this game. Yeah, solid game. Number three, Max Payne series, that trilogy. I've never played any Max Payne games. The storytelling that they're doing in those games, it's got this very, like, hard-boiled noir type of story. The first and second game utilize this comic book style. It feels very adult but not in a pandering way that I feel like a lot of games from that time period did. They still look beautiful 20 years after the fact. Phenomenal games. I recommend the Max Payne series. Do you think that the Mark Wahlberg picture did the game series justice? <laughs> uh, no, the Mark Wahlberg movie is trash. <laughs> but um, you should play all the games. And then watch the film. Don't watch the movie. Okay. Play all the games. Okay. For my last pick, I'm going to do a cheat because how I earlier said that I don't like to list games that I replay a lot. These are games that I have played a bunch, but they're games that maybe I haven't played that much within the last five to ten years. Okay. So new appreciation. Middle Gear Solid 2. feel like the further we get away from that game, the more impactful and crazy the storytelling is. Silent Hill 2. I've never played the game. Great score, though. <laughs> you know that music. Super Mario RPG. All right, Mel. I want to talk about performances that really moved me in a way. And I'm not saying that these are the best. One of them, maybe two of them, I would 100% give awards to because I thought they were truly brilliant. As a former actor, mm -hmm. I appreciate this category. <laughs> so... 
favorite performances, and I will say I did pick two male, two female. It's not really about that. It's just mm-hmm. things that I remembered from this year that made me happy or moved me in some kind of way, and that's what I came to. To celebrate the category that you have created, there are movies that I specifically love only because of the performances. Absolutely. First up, I'm going to talk about, and again, this is, I'm I'm not being facetious. I really enjoyed this performance. Jared Leto, House of Gucci. Mm. We all watched this mm-hmm. film together, full disclosure. Mm-hmm. How many times did we rewind the scene in which he's reading the headline over the phone? Criminal tax evasion! I mean, it's absolutely one of the comedic performances of the year. Hands down. Him and Al Pacino as an honorable mention. Sure. They are in a totally different universe doing from their own everybody thing. else in this picture. Mm-hmm. And it is amazing. I will just mm-hmm. say, Jared Leto, I'm someone that I I feel a lot of things for. I don't know that I would have enjoyed this film as much without him and Al Pacino. This I, performance yeah. moved me in such a way. Mm-hmm. It was insane. Yeah. But it was such a big swing that it hit for me. Uh, personally, for me, this was like, their performances alone <laughs> would like brought this to like a C plus from like a D. Lido in particular, but also Pacino, they were not on the screen. Like, I just kind of like drifted. There's a point in this where they dip out mm-hmm. and you don't have them for, like, there's a yeah. big portion. And then he comes back. As soon as I had the thought that like, ooh. I'm, yep. I'm missing my boys. I need them back. They came back. Thank God. Yeah. I mean, you have to watch it for these performances. And you know what? Specifically. I'll give praise for Ridley for letting them do their thing in that movie. Oh, yeah. You gotta let your stars cook. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cook they did. Even if that's like, <laughs> if it's a microwave burrito, yeah. some sauce from a packet, it, yeah. it was good. Uh, okay, next up I'm gonna talk about... Jamie Dornan, Barb Star, Coda, this is Del Mar. Phenomenal. It, it's, I think for me, the treat of this was, I don't know if this is the first thing he did off of Fifty Shades, but I just love that he did it. He did all those Fifty Shades movies where he's like being nude, doing sexual things with bondage gear, and then all of a sudden- BDS and him, baby. And then all of a sudden he's on a beach singing and there's dolphins and he's just trying to have sex with these- I mean, these older women. I say older. They're, you know what I mean. Edgar's song, cinematic masterpiece of 2021. The fact that this song was not nominated for best song at the Academy Awards. For him to win for Belfast, but also have to perform this song. And then, (laughs) so those are my two, my two boys that Mm -hmm. really, and that sounds stupid, but honestly, they both heightened the film that they were in in such a way that my enjoyment and pleasure was tenfold. Mm-hmm. I have not seen Belfast, and I would like to. Jamie Dornan should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Barb and Star. Oh, I agree. Hands down, he you, probably should have won. Do you know something really... Jamie Dornan, the first thing I ever saw him on this is Shop Talk, was a little Shop show Talk. called Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he played the sheriff, a.k.a. the huntsman, in season one. And whenever I saw him, I had just read Fifty Shades of Grey. And in my mind, I was like, now if they cast a boy like that, I'm into it. Mm -hmm. 
But you haven't watched those movies. No, I didn't. I watched the first one. I saw the first one as well. I didn't like it. It wasn't great. <laughs> I haven't seen it. And I will tell you, just again, it didn't froth your loins. Like, they did get two very attractive people. I sure. love Dakota. Beautiful. Love He's beautiful. Her. She's so They're cute. Beautiful. He is so hot. Yeah. Like I love them both, and I'm I'm into a world which they. Yeah. Obviously, it's a fictional thing. Copulate. They bang. Love yeah. that for them in yeah. my mind. But here's the thing: I thought that movie was bad. Those books are not well written. I could get if if uh, you read Fifty Shades and you want something similar but a little bit better written, I can give you recommendations. Just reach out to me via mm. DM. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. To get back to this, uh, I really enjoyed Jamie Dornan in uh, Barb and Star Go to Mrs. Nice. Omar. It's great. Again, watch that movie. If this episode doesn't close with Edgar's prayer, I will be mad at you as an editor. <laughs> it will, for sure. Uh, okay, fired. so let me move on to my ladies. Yes. So, ladies of 2021. First, I have Rebecca Hall in hmm. The Night House. And this is legitimately, I will say, you haven't seen this film. Man, I, I'm killing it today. I will tell you, <laughs> this is a this is a film that is okay. Like, I, there's things I like about it. I think it's perfectly fine. Can, quick question. Uh-huh. Is, I might be wrong on this, completely cut this out. Is this the Rebecca Hall that directed the Netflix film Passing that yes. came out this year? Okay. Yes. I thought passing it was the because, Passing. Uh, yes. And I don't know all about this, but Passing, her mother, I think, was someone who, I think she was an opera singer, and I feel like they have heritage. Like, it's very closely tied into that film where... Okay. They are people of color. But Another like, movie I'm interested in, yeah. in seeing, but I didn't get yeah, around yeah. to. It, Sorry to cut you off, no, no, but no, I, you're I was fine. just curious. But yeah. that's in Rebecca Hall. Yes. I love her. So she, this is a horror film, and it's fine. It's fine. It has third act issues, just like all the other ones I listed earlier in this episode. But it's fine. The setups, the overall look of the film, the art design and direction, I really love. There's the way the scares are crafted later on in the film. For this concept, it's very cool, very fresh, but it's an okay film. Rebecca Hall is insanely good in this. There's a scene specifically where, and I'm not kidding, I would nominate her for Best Actress of this year. She is, I'm not saying she would win it, but she should be in the conversation because she is so outstanding. There's a scene, she plays a teacher who She's grieving the loss of her husband very recently with like in the last week, she's back at work and this parent comes in and wants to like haggle a grade, like their kid got a C and they're like, well, this is really not acceptable and you weren't here on the day that he was supposed to do this assignment, whatever. There's this exchange between her and the parent that's so amazing and I've thought about it so many times. It's something that watching her I feel every emotion. I feel pissed. I feel sad. I feel just frustrated. She is so phenomenal. On this film, is it uh, streaming anywhere? Yes, I think you can watch it on Hulu and maybe okay. Amazon as well. Okay. Yeah, The Night House. Uh, again, it's it's an okay movie, but if I was doing, I don't know what you call their little sizzle thing that they play when they're like, and Rebecca Hall is nominated for an Oscar for The sizzle Night reel. House. Sizzle reel. Sizzle yep. This The scene with her and the teacher, or her... And the parent is 100% the scene I would play. You are, with your list here, you're not helping, like, <laughs> just sorry. adding more more I'm, films I'm from, from 2021 and, that and I need to again, see. Again, this, this film, the I kind of have a thing where, not to be like a snob, but it's like jump scares don't work for me. Mm-hmm. There are jump type scares in this. The design and look of it, again, I don't want to give too much, is so cool. The art team behind this film it's it's just really cool okay so 
And then, which I kind of have a feeling this is going to come up later, so I won't get into this too much, but Jamie Comer in The Last Duel, which The Last Duel is going to come up for me again later, just as a spoiler. It, it's so good. She does these subtle things that are, it. it's just, she should have been nominated and she should win. I will briefly say, because we will talk about it again, <laughs> I think the impact of this movie and the importance of this film, this movie is solely based off of, once you get that chapter three, her perspective. And it's, like, that's what makes the movie and special. I, will, I sure. will say it's how, again, with these subtleties and just slight differences in, in her characterization throughout each movement of the film... It, it's like standing up to all these people that have been in so many films and she brings it so hard and it's so good. I was, I was truly blown away. So yeah. this is a performance that, and it's a movie that I will rewatch. I really enjoyed this movie. I love the hell out of it, but I will rewatch it specifically for her performance because it's so fucking good. Well, to her credit, it's got to be very hard to act against the sexual dynamo that is Adam Driver. But also Adam Driver coming at you and you're just like, no, please don't. It's no, like... don't. So true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good pick. We'll move on to my number sevens of the year. First up for my number seven of 2021, I've got Just Don't Think I'll Scream. This is directed by Frank Bovias. I hope I said his name right. January 2016, The Love Story that brought me to this village in Alasek, where I live, ended six months ago. At 45, I am now alone without a car or job or any real prospects, surrounded by luxuriant nature, the proximity of which is not enough to calm the deep distress into which I am plunged. I am lost, and I watch four to five films a day. I decide to record this stagnation not by picking up a camera, but by editing shots from the stream of films I watch. So this is a documentary of sorts, but he uses clips of over 400 movies he watched in this time of isolation after he uh, broke up with his significant other. Uh, this film affected me like none other that I watched in 2021. As someone who deals with a great amount of depression, anxiety, insecurity, in an overall feeling of malaise and agoraphobia, I responded to this beyond words. It's a remarkable piece of self-reflective filmmaking, uh, but also an uh, undeniably strong visual essay from the filmmaker. Lovely. If you're into any type of essay filmmaking, I would highly recommend this. If you're fans of like some of Godard's essays or somebody like Chris Marker, uh, I would highly recommend this. And like I said, it affected me like another one I watched. What year. was the title again? Uh, again, it's called Just Don't Think I'll Scream. And again, that is streaming on movie for those interested. Moving on to my number seven of my new discoveries of 2021. As I said, we're going in a completely different direction. We're going to the 1963 Blake Edwards film, The Pink Panther. I went on a very small like Blake Edwards journey, sure. which I'm going to continue. But I, I watched... Maybe three or four of his early films, this being the best of those that I saw. Again, this film is great. Yeah. The next one is going to blow your socks I, off. I can't wait. And, uh, go watch some Blake Edwards, y'all. I love that you love that. That makes me so happy. Absolutely. All right. Stacy, what do you got for us next? 
the best games of 2021. <laughs> number one. Maybe I should go number five. Listen, our list don't make any sense. Right, right, right. Okay. You know, Nolan cheats all the time yeah. on his list, so I'm going to do one honorable mention that isn't from 2021, but it came out close enough to 2021, and I played it in 2021. Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales. It's a really fun game. Good PS5 title. Number five, Wildermyth. So this is a game I didn't play that much of, but it's on the PC, and it is a RPG that is turn-based, kind of like D&D. It's a very cool indie game. Check it out, Wildermyth. Number four, Wrestling Empire. So this game is just a weird, broken wrestling game. It's 3D. It plays like those Nintendo 64 games, but if those games were broken and garbage... But this game is fun in the way that it's broken and garbage. It is a fun wrestling campaign. If you enjoy wrestling, play Wrestling Empire. <laughs> Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. I feel like people didn't know what to think about this game because Marvel's Avengers was just an okay game. A lot of people were down on it. And this is from Square Enix. But this is from the studio that did the recent Deus Ex games, which I really enjoy. It's got a good story. It's a really nice 20 to 30 hour campaign. Good music. I really dug it. Number two, Ratchet & Clank, Rift Apart. If you have a PS5, this is a must-own game. I think that this is the game that shows like what next-generation gaming could be. This game is like a Pixar cartoon come to life. It shows the power of the hard drive and like the systems that the PS5 has in place. There's no loading. It's actually really fucking crazy to see like going between these portals... You get into new levels, but there's no loading time. It just, it looks great. It's so hard to explain. Yeah. The haptic controls, they feel really good. You know how that controller feels in your hand. Oh, yeah. Best controller ever. This game is perfection. Number one, and obviously there could be no other choice for this boy, Resident Evil Village. Hmm. Lady D, step on me. Lady D, step on me. Eight is phenomenal. It's one of those games. You know how I was talking about game bloat. Mm-hmm. This game doesn't really have that. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> you guys. Resident Evil Village is one of those games that just feels like I'm gonna replay this a bunch. It is a beautiful masterpiece. I have been feeling myself with bubble baths like Mm -hmm. not in a sexual way i'm sorry lotions and potions and different things happening in the bathtub and i just potions yeah i created Mm -hmm. a list of things that that don't don't nod your head like yeah potions are a thing i know about i I do know about potions can i not say that a bath bomb is a potion yeah that's what we're talking about so let it be known that me mr glover enjoys to be as quick as possible with this time. I, listen, I... I'm no. a man on an island here. Yeah, you are. I just want to share my bath tips, okay? <laughs> Different things that I have learned over the past year of having a soaker tub... So I would like to share some products, some different things that I think will heighten your experience in the bathtub Mm -hmm. if you, too, are someone that likes to bathe in a tub. Mm -hmm. All right? So I I listed kind of 10 items, but I'll, I'll, I'll quicken it. So we've got Dr. Teal's is a company that releases different bath products. They have bombs. They have baths. They have scrubs, salts, oils, all sorts of stuff. 
They are very affordable. You can find them in Walmart, CVS, you can find them on Amazon. They're super cheap and they are good. The thing about bath products that I think a lot of people kind of get hosed on is at the end of the day, this is stuff that you essentially could make at home. Like it's, it's very, very, very basic stuff, but some companies will product or like will put like a name brand on it and charge a exuberant amount. So I'm telling you, Dr. Teal's is where it's at. My three favorite scents of Dr. Teal's, lavender. They have lavender with melatonin if you want a little bit of a sleepy time boost mm -hmm. if you're bathing in the evening. What I would recommend is you want to get the Epsom salts with lavender. You want to get the oil, the bath oil with lavender. Mm -hmm. And you also want to do the bubble bath with lavender. You put all that in, you start your water, let mm -hmm. it fill up, let it get super bubbly. Sometimes you have to push the bubbles back to the back of the tub. That way more bubbles will form while it's still mm -hmm. filling up. You dip into it and you sit. I would say number two, there is a matcha green tea calming. Mm. So you can get the salt in the bubble bath. It's very good. Or number three, oat milk. It is a little bit of a like a sweet, warm scent. You fill it up. You let the bubbles tickle your ears and you just sit mm. in it. And you take a wash rag and you, mm. you put it in the water and then you put it over your face and you sit back. Mm. Put a hair mask in. Nice. Do, do a facial mask. Let it steam. Facial products that I really love that I feel like are kind of looked down on in the beauty community. I would say there's a line of masks, facial masks, spa masks, not face masks. Freeman's, they come in huge tubes and you can get them at Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, wherever. I think Ulta has them in their like drugstore sec section maybe $4 for a big tube. And all the Dr. Teals that I listed, you can get every single product under $20, all of them yeah. together. They're super cheap. They're Good like- prices, for they're sure. They're like $4 a pop. But yeah, I would say get the get the Dr. Teals in the tub, get the Freemans on the face. I feel like I'm being flanked. I appreciate that you guys enjoy this stuff. I think it's a waste of time. Can you- A I mean, waste I, of time Nolan, to feel good? Nolan likes a bath as well. I, I bought you, I think for your birthday and for Christmas, because you're Absolutely. a January boy, so they're right around the corner. Back to back. It's the Village Company. They sell, yes. like, medicinal, chronic fatigue, yep. cold and flu. If, if for the job I have, anyone out there who does a lot of uh, manual labor or on their feet a lot, they make great stuff for, like, pain, fatigue, muscle soreness. Yeah. They yeah, do I great salts and excellent. Moving on from specific back bath products i do have other things in the bathroom that are going to help you i would say for relaxation and for exfoliation and overall hydration there are these amazing and it's a i think it's actually a korean product and i don't know the i don't know what they call it in korea but if you were to buy it in like a shop a lot of asian markets will carry it you can get it on amazon as well there's an exfoliating mitt they typically come in green, hot pink, or red. It's insane, but it's also really satisfying. It's kind of gross. I'm but interested. Skin will just come off as like rolls. Yeah. And it feels so good. And afterwards, I'm just telling you, I'm soft. This is soft. Nah. You're not, like, you're not soft like That's this. That's beautiful. See? No, you're not soft like this. Lady charm. That's butter compared to your salt. You get a packet of these for like... Mm -hmm. It's under $10 and you get like oh, nice. five or six of them. It's a great deal. It's You're going to use them forever. I'm also going to say just as a general thing that you need in a bath, candles. Mm. People light a candle. Candles? Once in a while. It's nice. This is something that I 
had in my shopping cart to buy myself, but I was kindly gifted a submersible LED color-changing light mm. that you plaster <laughs> to the tub. You can turn it any color you want. The bathwater, you feel in blue, you can turn it blue. That's you want it right there. You want it peach, you can turn it peach. You want it red. Hours, hours, Purple, hours. it enhances the experience because you just feel cozier. So, like, you've got that oat milk bath mm. bubbling up to your chin and your ears, and you're just feeling luxurious and brand new. And then all of a sudden, the water is purple, and you're like, oh, am I in a nebula? I don't know. On top of the world. It's so good. The one I have is kind of expensive, but you can find them very cheap on Amazon for, like, $10 or under. A projector light that mm-hmm. does galaxy projection or a sunset lamp, which is very affordable. I'm telling you, set that up on the floor. Let it project onto the ceiling. So you have your LED light in the bathwater. You've got your purple light on the ceiling, and you're just sitting in the stars. You feel you like know, you're in another world. Yeah, I'm very interested in getting one of these projector it's lights. It's so at some point. nice. It was cool. I'm just saying. <laughs> another thing that I'm going to say, I'm someone that uh, for a long time... I feel like if you came up in an era where head shops, mm. there's a lot of kids whenever I went to high school that were really into like hippie culture, like it had come back and mm-hmm. they were really into like patchouli yep. and mm. nag champa. That stuff doesn't smell good to me. Mm-hmm. Like incense, incense that smells like incense doesn't smell good to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You need to get some agar wood or some oud wood, mm. some fresh lavender incense. Mm. You put that on while you're in the bath. You want to light it, put it on the counter, light your candles, have everything going, and oh, just let that smoke really yeah. mix into the air and the bubbles. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice. It's so. Yeah. That, I think this is a lovely yeah. set of rituals that concoctions you've got going on. Just yeah. the all around aura vibe is like perfect. Yeah. It's, I'm telling you, whenever. So that's it. Whenever I come out of the bath, I think that's like a solid like I don't know eight or nine items. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I'm a new me. When yeah. I come out of that bath, mm-hmm. like I can I can be at work in the office having something stressful happen. All these people need things for me. Goes from a shit day to like yeah, to I'm, to to an okay a day that you're like you know what I'm gonna be all right mm-hmm. functioning at all yeah just okay. I love that. <laughs> The soaker tub that I have is not like, it's not a fancy thing. You should look into it. Get a dad that'll install it for you. Oh, yeah. It is so worth it. Glitter is not a thing that should be in a bath bomb. PSA. Okay? That's right. Natural things only. That's something that I learned from you over the last few years. You don't... Which I am highly grateful you gave me Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. And I think others should as well. Do you have glitter in your ball hole? No. I never, she, she specifically told me, make sure there's none that have glitter in them. And I said, okay, Let's good list, on. Melanie. I'm so sorry. I this liked so it. Long. I think it was <laughs> worth it. So well done. I'm going to go the way our lists work here. I'm going to go back to back. So first up, my number six film from 2021. This is my last documentary I've got on my list. This is called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, a history of folk horror directed by Kayla Janice. This is a 194-minute documentary. It's over three hours long, but I will tell you it is worth the runtime on this one as it goes through the history of the folk horror genre. And I will say Kayla Janice is... This is her first directed film. Does a wonderful job here. She has 
edited a number of books. She has written a few books, including her her most known book, I believe, is House of Psychotic Women, which I would highly suggest to anyone. Uh, she now works for Severn Films, and Severn put this out along with a box set of, I think, 20-plus full core full core films in the set as well. Is full core, that's a term that kind of started within the last, like, three or four years. So right? they, they kind of, in the documentary, they, they go over when the term was kind of first brought up, and it was, it, it's a newer term. You know, the, the movie does a very good job kind of mapping out the history, talks a lot about uh, what what uh, she calls the Holy Trinity of full core films. These films include The Witchfinder General, Blood on Satan's Claws, and The Wicker Man. And so that's kind of how the film starts. And as that, she kind of goes on and, and we learn about a lot of the history starting out with you know, back in, in the silent era, we go through different countries. Are older, because I know you you just talked about, like, more classic films outside of the Holy Trinity. Sure. Right? So, is stuff like Haxon yes. or The Wolfman? Touch on some of that. They, okay. they absolutely touch on Haxon as well. Haxon, for sure, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's really great deal of films that you could consider in the full core well, genre like you said this term is like it's more modern it is like for a horror subgenre yeah. because i feel like when i was discovering a lot of these films they were considered cult horror right yes mm -hmm. like sure. which uh which finder general and uh the wicker man were very much cult horror yeah, yeah right. i didn't have mm -hmm. a term for it yeah. i no. didn't think that i would use cult horror i was just I think I probably just lumped it into horror films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, sure. I I feel like with The Wicker Man, it was very much like this is one of the greatest horror films you don't know about. Yeah. And with Witchfinder General, it's like this is kind of in the post cycle for Corman. So yeah, I mean, and and I think this documentary is, I would call it, uh, it is essential in my opinion on on just kind of understanding what that term means now. And what it's meant in the past and moving forward. So, like, you know, when we think of movies, some of them like today, like, you know, a lot of examples, it's it's a lot of films that usually happen in the woods or uh, The Earth that came out this last year by... Uh, Was it In the Earth? Is that the film we're talking yes. about? Ben Wheatley? Ben Wheatley. Thank you. Kill List is, is a movie that you would look now as being oh, part of core. Yeah. core. Uh, you know, it's about these certain sets of rituals and traditions that whatever country you're looking at, they're displayed into the filmmaking. And yeah, so there, it, it's just an interesting, well-made, well-researched documentary that includes a wide range of different voices, critics, writers, um, a good set of knowledgeable people. And I would just highly recommend it. So it's streaming on Shutter. Now uh, to move on to my number six pick of Discoveries of 2021. We're moving on to 1975's Night Moves. This is directed by Arthur Penn, starring uh, Gene Hackman, Jennifer Warren, Edward Benz, uh, Susan Clark, to name a few. Private detective and former football player Harry Mosby gets hired on to what seems a standard missing person case as a former Hollywood actress whose only major role uh, roles came thanks to being married to a studio mogul 
wants Mosby to find and return her daughter. Harry travels to Florida to find her, but he begins to see a connection between the runaway girl, the world of Hollywood stuntmen, and a suspicious mechanic when an unsolved murder comes to light. Anyone familiar with uh, Arthur Penn's work knows that this is a very lovely directed movie. This is a neo-noir. Uh, I would compare this a lot, although obviously different in its filmmaking style, to something like The Conversation. There's a nice Blu-ray from Warner Archive that I picked up. All right, my number five uh, is a film by Radu, Radu Jude. I'm sorry about his name. I've had a lot of problems today. but <laughs> This is damn foreign films. <laughs> We've got a movie titled Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. Uh, from Letterboxd, Emmy, a school teacher, finds her career and reputation under threat after a personal sex tape is leaked on the internet. Forced to meet the parents demanding her dismissal, Emmy refuses to surrender to their pressure. So this is a movie, but it has, for anyone out there who is... Who is... Sensitive? Sensitive to... Yeah, thank you for these type of things. The opening maybe five to seven minutes is actual pornography. So a sex tape is made for their own pleasure, gets into the wrong hands, and it gets put on the internet. Like Pam and Tommy. Kids find out about it. Parents find out about it. There's a whole thing. This is a movie that is of the now to like the highest degree, where what happens in the last 20 to 30 minutes of this movie is kind of mind-blowing, but where it all leads up to basically... A meeting that takes place between the teacher, between the principal, and all of the parents of these children. They have a meeting. This is one of the, in my opinion, one of the great COVID-era films. It's wonderful. I highly suggest it. Next up here, I will go into my number five of the year for 2021. And with that one, I have a movie by Vincent Minnelli, 1945's The Clock. Uh, a GI en route to Europe falls in love during a whirlwind two-day leave in New York City. This stars Judy Garland, Robert Walker, James Gleason, Keenan Wynn, Lucille Gleason, to name a few. This is a lovely movie, and I would highly recommend checking out Vincent Minnelli's work and this movie in particular. So, my next list is my best discoveries, all bundled up in one. My thing was super complicated this year because I had a lot of time due to life circumstance. I wanted to highlight films that either blew me away because going into Rules of the Game or Rebecca, something like this, oh yes, this is one of the greatest films ever made. I understand this going into it. Mm -hmm. And yes, academically, I can watch this film and like, yeah, Tokyo Story. What interesting thing do I have to say about Ozu right now? Maybe I have more thoughts about Time Cop. I don't fucking know. Here's my five discoveries from this year. There will be a couple movies that are on that best of all time list that you'll probably recognize. Number five, Starman. First time I watched this film. So this movie is fucking magic. So this is a John Carpenter film, which I do think that Karen Allen is the reason that Raiders of the Lost Ark is better than Last Crusade. Absolutely. Like, it is the reason that that is the best indie movie. Like, mm -hmm. she is phenomenal. She has an energy about her and a charm. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Bridges in this film, his take on an alien is so unique and original. 
And there is a scene near the end of the movie that he talks about why he is interested in humans. It is so thoughtful. Essentially, E.T. for adults. Yeah. I feel like you kind of have to have an emotional preparedness for because it will sweep over you and in a way that you don't expect impactful and just it's a beautiful film try and catch up with and i will say soundtrack fucking awesome nice so my number four is the long goodbye by robert altman neo-noir film from the 70s mm-hmm. we talked about that have you, you have you seen this movie i've not seen this one either So I love this movie. I feel like this is the prototypical film for the current run of neo-noir films, like kind of a mumblecore. Mm -hmm. So it has all the Altman touches of, you know, natural dialogue being captured without editing. I love that the title song, The Long Goodbye, exists in the movie as if it is the only song that exists in the world. (laughs) And it's so fucking perfect. Elliot Gould has an energy during like the late 60s to mid 70s. Like him and MASH, he has an energy and a sardonic wit to him that I just, I love. And his character in this, his version of Marlowe mm-hmm. in this movie, it just, I think it's so brilliant and cynical. And it is, it is the perfect response to this postmodernism that was starting in for noir films. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a brilliant film. I think that among Altman's work, this film is not talked about enough as a top tier Altman film. And I think that should change. I think it's a phenomenal film. It should be up there. Number three, a face in the crowd, Ilya Kazan. So this movie, I love Ilya Kazan. I know that he's like a problematic filmmaker and shit. Face of the Crowd is one of those movies that it is very much in the vein in this is only like 20 years earlier than being there, which that film's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But this is very similar, but in a more grounded way. Yeah, this film is stunning. Yeah, I think a Criterion is. version came out within the last few years. Yeah. But um starring the great Andy Griffith. So this is a performance that if you you know, our familiarity with Andy Griffith is definitely the Andy Griffith show, like pop culture phenom, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And Matlock, obviously. <laughs> but in Face of the Crowd, you see this movie, you have no idea that he has this in him. A charisma to this performance off the hinges. I don't want to get like too political and shit, but it's kind of one of those movies that, oh, this kind of foresaw Donald Trump like 40 years before. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a powerful film. So now is the point in Stacy's list where he's going to get a little bit up its own ass okay. and agree with uh, all the writers out there. Carol Reed's The Third Man, mm. one of the best noir films ever made. So Harry Lyme, Orson Welles' character, he is the specter over the film that it has the same feelings. And I don't know if you've even seen this film, Laura. No, killing it tonight here. That's a, no, 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 you're fine, dude. I had a lot of free time. As far as like characters that aren't really in the movie, like Harry Lyme really reminds me of Laura, where characters talking about him and it just builds him up. Laura, the uh, Primager film, is that correct? Yeah, Odo yes. Primager. Masterful movie, by the way. Yeah, The Third Man is just masterful filmmaking. It really reminds me of. 
it's kind of like a mix between lore or like that Twin Peaks aesthetic mixed with Night of the Demon. Okay. Turner, Turner film. Yeah. The sewer chase at the end is just masterful filmmaking. If you haven't seen Third Man, check it out. It is one of the greatest noir films ever made. Hands okay. down. My number one best discovery. Eight and a half. Fellini. The sexiness of this film. Can it's I, a very sexy can film. I, can I say something again? I know. How I went through film school. Masteroni, he plays yeah. the lead character. So this film is all about like a director's muses. Just the process of filmmaking. And it is so beautiful. And it's got this experimental look to it that the scenes where it's him in his head managing the relationships of all the women that he has entangled into his life. Mm. This is one of those that I watched and was like, yeah, this is... I can see the argument for this being one of the five greatest movies. Yeah. Very nice. If you haven't seen Eight and a Half, watch it. A brilliant piece of cinema. All right. Well, I'm going to move on to my number fours of the year. First up, my number four from 2021, Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. Anyone who is a fan of Schrader, I think, will like this. I don't think it's quite as good as his last first reform, but I think it's in that same ballpark. It's a small step down, but not a major one. I, I think it's a great movie. Schrader is being Schrader. I don't know what else you could ask for. Uh, rhythmically satisfying, formally shrewd. Schrader fills the screen with tracking shots and recognizable composition of a lonesome, emotionally tattered man. The casinos, hotel rooms, and restaurants are amiable spaces that the characters find comfort in through lives that seem to be of a rotating, unsettled environment. By the way, the light scene, which is when you see it, you know it, is elegantly romantic, rock to my world. That is one of my personal favorite scenes of the year. It's a scene where Tiffany Haddish and Oscar Isaac go through this uh, set. Just a lot of... I don't know if it's taking place at Christmas time or I don't, or maybe it's just like a, I think it's just a light just garden. In general, like a light garden. Just to give a quick synopsis through Letterboxd, uh, William Tell, which is what Oscar Isaac goes by here, just wants to play cards. His Spartan existence on the casino trail is shattered when he is approached by Cirque, a vulnerable and angry young man seeking help to execute his plan for revenge on a military colonel. Tell sees a chance at redemption through his relationship with Cirque, but keeping Cirque on the straight and narrow proves impossible, dragging Tell back into the darkness of his past. Uh, yes, this is about uh, the quote-unquote card player, but it's about so much more, and it's about a man... Uh, I don't... Maybe you can help me, Stacy. Do you remember... Like This is quote-unquote about an event that actually happened. Uh, what do you mean by quote unquote? Well, I'm saying that because... Who are you quoting? I'm you quoting... things on, on the, movie. Yes, but I, I'm basically the saying that because of, this is a movie compared to real life. So, yes, and... absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is... Like, they kind of touch on this shit in, like, Zero Dark Thirty of our treatment, and I say ours, the U.S.'s treatment of... Uh, prisoners of war during uh, that post 9-11 time frame. Very dark times. And what's very disturbing is like in real life uh, this man obviously he did some awful things which were encouraged by our 
military or government, but like he is out of prison. He spent a short time for committing the deeds that he did, whether, you know, whatever he was told to or what, it's the fact that he did commit these things. His memory of the yeah. the Guantanamo Bay type area, the, the shot the tracking shot that goes through that, the music that's playing is all of it is so upsetting and this makes me sick, but that's what it's supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, it was very affecting. I, I thought it, it was It made me feel awful. Absolutely. I thought it that stuff was one of the more formally daring Yeah. Scenes I've seen in it was a kind film of like this a year. Fish lens too yeah. that they used. It was. It it's was ugh. some disturbing shit. Yeah. No doubt. And also I will say, like I won't say what happens in the final scene slash scenes but the way the film plays out it's disturbing but it also is one of those things where schrader does a great job of not showing you too much um in a time and place where we often show violence and show how things play out a moment where violence happens but it's shown off screen and you hear sounds, obviously. Yeah. And I I think that was used to a very well degree here. And it worked beautifully for the film. I think it's more film. effective than anything mm-hmm. that you could have seen. Well, and I, I think the whole film is about control. And right. every aspect of the film is about that. I mean, even in Trader's direction, it is mm-hmm. a certain measure of control yeah. especially through that ending right but i i think through the circumstances of oscar isaac being someone who interrogated prisoners of war through yeah. extreme torture and the vengeance that he and that child you know sought in the aftermath of that like all of it is about levying control even tiffany haddish's character mm-hmm. is about a measure of control right and i i just think the basic act of just playing cards and the way that he goes about the process he has a very measured approach to it mechanical for him yeah and one of the things that i i, I find that works for the film highly is through this control and he he does, as you said, like you see it in the way that he goes about staying in his hotel rooms, the way he plays cards, mm-hmm. uh, obviously the way that he is presented as the way he, he treated his prisoners. But in the end, what happens to a character is out of his control and that basically kind of fucks his world up. Yeah, it's the lack of control that mm-hmm. is his downfall. Right. It's... It's as soon as he lets things get out of his control mm-hmm. and he introduces a foreign element into his life is well, when his life starts to unravel this again. this happens two times because mm-hmm. he introduces the, the kid and right. he introduces Tiffany Haddish yep. while they're getting better with him and mm-hmm. Tiffany's character and the kid he thinks he's helping and mm-hmm. giving a lifeline. Things also deteriorate and yep. kind of spin out of control in this house of cards and things come tumbling down very quickly. Yeah. It 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 really uh I thought it was very and well done. This mm-hmm. is also a film that I had on my best of nice. list. This is so we won't We really... all watched this together. Yeah, this it was, was, a, my, it was a great it's watch. A fantastic this film. This is my number five whenever I get into my list and very nice. I I love this film and I just wanna say 
Tiffany Haddish this year, because we all talk about yeah. Bad Trip and this film, brilliant. Yeah. She is someone, I didn't call her out of my, my specific, you know, performances that got me because the things that I saw her in this year were so different and so good. She is equally good in this as she is in Bad Trip. She is yeah. wonderful. For my number four discovery of 2021, I'm going with the 1960 John Ford film, Sergeant Rutledge. Uh, forget all the suspense you've ever seen. Forget all the excitement you've ever known. Respected Black Calvary Sergeant Brax Rutledge stands court-martial for raping and killing a white woman and murdering her father, his superior officer. Uh, this stars the great Woody Strode, Jeffrey Hunter, Constance Towers, Billy Burke. Uh, those are en enough there. But anyway, yeah, John Ford, I don't need to say anything. He's one of the greatest filmmakers. Uh, I think I streamed it on something like Amazon or something like that. Watch Ford because he is one of our great American filmmakers. That's it for me. What you got, Stacey? I'm just going to combine my next two because they're very quick fire-offs. Films! From 2021, that could have been my favorite if I watched them. Spielberg's West Side Story, Licorice Pizza, Belfast, Drive My Car, Pig. I'm going to throw in my honorable uh, mentions of 2021. These are films that I really dug a lot. And some of these movies are going to be better than the movies that I list as my favorite films. And this is more of just a methodology thing of like rewatchability and whatnot. But movies that I really dug from the year, Army of the Dead, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, <laughs> The Green Knight, Prisoners of the Ghostland, The Power of the Dog, Benedetta, In the Heights, The Harder They Fall. I think all these films are great in some instances. Uh... Power of the Dog, that should probably win Best Picture. But I don't know if I'm going to rewatch it again anytime soon. But it is a fan fantastic movie. Solid list, man. Great movies. Go watch all of them. Hell yeah. Melanie? Um, okay, so I have one more oddball list before I get into just my okay. typical best of, which I did kind of a cheat for my best of, best of, but we'll okay. get to that with your last half of your films then. Okay. Um, so I just listed in 2021 things that I was grateful for this year. So there's a couple of different aspects of things that I just, I'm not saying this year, was, this last year was as bad as the year before it, but it was still kind of a, yeah. a just a it, slog. It wasn't much better. Maybe, you know, it was slightly yeah. better, but not much better. Not much. Not, the bar wasn't raised that high. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I just want to say things that I was really thankful for. Number one, technically number three, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Nice. We already talked about this a little bit, but mm -hmm. I'm just telling you, if you have a hankering for just a long RPG, just mythology-based world, play as Cassandra... And just dive into it because it's so good. I that really just just gave me so much life at a time where I really needed some. So mm -hmm. it was very good. I also want to say I was very thankful for a couple different, I would say, not social media, but like things that can connect you to other people when you're not present. Mm -hmm. So Zoom, cast, 
And for D&D, roll 20. There was a large part of the year where uh, playing D&D in person was not really an option. So playing through Roll20, which is a great uh, online platform you can use. They have maps. You can also customize a ton of things. Absolutely amazing. Um, you can, you know, see people on camera. So like you're getting to see your party, your friends face to face, even though you're not face to face. Absolutely amazing. Um, it really helped helped our friend group a lot i think and then i also just want to say i'm really thankful for this podcast this past oh, yeah. year because this is my first year full year of being on the show and being with you guys mm -hmm. and um we're thankful to have you as a full-time <laughs> member other yeah. than just Agreed. editing our show yeah it was because just... it makes things easier and more uh i think all around fun for everyone <laughs> well it was just i would say like well not only for, you know, for being an editor and having something to do a lot of the times whenever I, I needed something to tinker with, but being on the show, just talking to you guys, and also getting to know, like, people that are listening, which is still such a foreign concept to me that anybody listens mm -hmm. to these conversations we have. It's so bizarre mm -hmm. and weird, but yep. it's really cool to just have conversations about films with you guys and with people who love films, and I'm just... It sounds cheesy, but I'm so thankful yeah. for it. The show wouldn't go without you, Melanie, and that is the <laughs> That's true. truth. Because us two idiots wouldn't have the faintest clue. <laughs> Moving on here to number threes. Uh, my number three film of 2021. I'm going with The Power of the Dog, directed by Jane Campion, uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kristen Dunst, Kirsten Dunst Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith-McPhee, uh yeah a charismatic rancher phil burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him when his brother brings home a new wife and her son phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love uh i think anyone who's out anyone who is a fan of jane camping out there i think will be a fan of this movie uh a visual masterpiece from jane campion Johnny Greenwood's score accompanies the images with immaculate precision and proficiency. Uh, for me, a key composition takes place early on. As Phil, walking down a flight of stairs with a mounted buffalo behind him, descends to the bottom of the stairwell, cigarette in hand, and takes a puff, blowing the smoke out of his nostrils. Uh, I found this to be a potent arrangement from a film that has plenty of note, which was on my mind throughout is Terrence Davies' Sunset Song, in particular the way he frames windows, doorways, a type of opening, in much the same way as John Ford, who I mentioned a few minutes ago. A random thought, but was entrenched nevertheless. And to be honest, any film that makes one think of Davies and Ford, uh, you're in the hands of a master filmmaker, which, in my opinion, is what Jane Campion is. So this is a movie I loved. For anybody who hasn't watched the movie, I'm, you know, it's not that it's a spoiler, but if... If you haven't watched it, there is like something more to it than what the trailer. If you've seen a trailer or read about it, there's there's something is that isn't Netflix, telling you. Right? It's a, it's a Netflix yeah. film. Yeah. I th I think the interesting film or the interesting thing about this film is that for for me it played out kind of like a gothic romance sure. film, mm -hmm. like Rebecca got across. Mm -hmm. Very similar film in that respect. And I I dug that. I think setting yeah. like a gothic romance in 
you know, the Wild West. Yeah. Like that's it was pretty cool. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I will the the last thing I'll really say about it is that uh I believe the movie is taking place in Montana, but uh obviously Campion shoots in her home uh area of New Zealand, I believe. I hope that's right. I think that's correct. I think it is. And man, the locations are just gorgeous. Oh, anybody New Zealand who, is like stupid pretty. Yeah. Anybody who's seen yeah, her Lord of the Rings. Uh, top yeah, Lord of the Rings or anybody who's seen her top of the lake. Phenomenal. Great stuff. I think that was on either Hulu Yes. Or... I think it's still on Hulu, I yeah. believe. So yeah, Gorgeous. if you're a fan of this movie, check check those seasons out that Campion also directed. And uh, but anyway, uh yeah, I just want to say that uh you should check this movie out. It's on Netflix and uh yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. That sounds like Stacy likes it as well. So I do. We'll give it a Thumbs up. A thumbs up there. All right. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. And then, so I'm going to go back to back here. I'll go ahead and talk about my number twos here. So. Did you talk about your discovery for number I one? did not because I'm an idiot. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a long night. I'm losing it. I know. We, we're going, <laughs> we we're going long. I, I got to so eat. Sorry. All right. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I'll go ahead and talk about now my number three. Uh discovery of 2021 and that would be the 1974 film directed by joseph Sargent, the taking of pelham one two three the original here although tony scott is fine but the original here we've got walter Matthau, robert shaw martin balsam i'm sorry earl hind hindman hector Elizondo, I'm gonna stop naming names there. Uh, in New York, armed men hijack a subway car and demand a ransom for the passengers, even if it's paid. How could they get away? Uh, yeah, this movie rules. It takes place in an underground New York subway. Uh, watch it. What else can I say? That I haven't seen it, sad. but I I would like to see it. Yeah, Stacy, you will love this movie. I'll tell you that. Melanie, I take it you're a fan from your reaction. Have you, the, the score. Walter Matthau, also in God mode here. He is so good in this. This film blew me away. I, I knew it was a good a good movie because I've heard about it for years. <laughs> All I put in my review was what a masterpiece. <laughs> to be honest, the whole cast is incredible. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think there's much else to say. Go watch it. It's a great movie. I'm going to double up here, move on to my number twos here. My number two for 2021, Licorice Pizza, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, set in the San Fernando Valley in the 1970s, the film follows a high school student who is also a successful child actor. Uh, we have Elena Heim, Cooper Hoffman, Sean Penn, Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper, Benny Safdie, Skyler uh, Gassando, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, some other of the Heim clan as well, or Haim, however, I'm sorry. Uh, I never know how to pronounce that last name correctly. Uh, what I wrote for this in my very flawed mind, PTA's use of the close-up is the most prominent here since the master. The close-ups and tracking shots dominate the picture, which serve well as its guide, not just for the relationship at hand, but also a chaotic and unsettling time for both Gary and Elena. The choice of soundtrack, in my opinion, is PTA's best, which flows remarkably with the picture. In my estimation, this is PTA's funniest film. It's very quote-unquote vibey. And while the film consists of mostly different vignettes, it molds together coherently, in my opinion. One last note, Bradley Cooper shows some Wedding Crashers level of asshole humor that I've missed from him over the years. 
It was a nice reminder of his comedic timing and talent that has been lost for some time now. Uh, yeah, I won't go too far into this because neither of you have seen this movie. I'll just say Paul Thomas Anderson, great filmmaker. Funnier than Boogie Nights. I found it to be his funniest movie. I did. Wow. Boogie Nights is hilarious. He he's a he's he's got a lot of comedy in his films. But for me personally, I found this to be his funniest movie. My number two film discovery, The Crowd, directed by King Vidor. John, an ambitious but undisciplined New York City office worker, meets and marries Mary. They start a family, struggle to cope with marital stress, financial setbacks, and tragedy, all while lost amid the anonymous, pitiless throngs of the big city. Uh, if you've never seen a King Vidor film, this is a good one to start with. Uh, the craft on display from the god King Vidor is unshakable. It's refreshing to see the lack of sentimentality, a point most modern films could learn from. Vidor's portrayal of a character believing he will be something someday, and that belief that it will be handed to him is as relevant today as it was in the 20s. The privilege that John relies on because of his skin color and family can't be ignored, and the hubris that befalls John is parallel to the narrative. Ultimately, he finds himself heading in an upward direction, but most with his privilege usually do, no matter how big the city and how big the crowd. Go check it out. King Vidor rules. And that was my number two discovery of 2021. Stacy, are we ready to move on to your... Is this your final list here? That is correct. All right. This is my list of not unspecified order, nor do I think these are the best films of 2021 but these are films that i think that i will probably revisit and that i really dug a lot number five halloween kills <laughs> we talked about this in detail earlier in the episode way back when like an hour or two ago <laughs> this movie ah. is fucking awesome and i really dug it number four no time to die this is a bond film i love bond films this is a pretty good bond film Therefore, it makes one of the best of the year. I think that this is a satisfying conclusion to the Daniel Craig series. It is not as good as the highs, but it is not nearly as low as lows of his series. I say lows. I think that the Daniel Craig films that are not as good are still pretty okay movies. But I think that Daniel Craig gives a wonderful spirited performance as Bond, and it it is nice closure. So, fantastic Bond film. You guys should watch it. You'll like it. Number three. The Mitchells versus The Machine. <laughs> I think this is the best animated film of the year. Hands down. It brings a lot of that energy and creative animation that was seen in Into the Spider-Verse a few years back. I really dig it. I like the story. It's very family-centric. And I think it is a funny, interesting film. It focuses in on a daughter who didn't necessarily fit in with her family, but, like, slowly she learns, you know, your family loves you even if they're messy. Like, there are some moments in this that it feels very similar to very specific things that I experienced in my life. So it's just, like, it hit my heartstrings in such a way that's just... It was really good and cathartic and wonderful, but specifically I remember you have this this dad who is trying to kind of relate to this girl who's coming out of high school, going into college, and like she's super artsy and he's more of 
a literal man and just he thinks in in the real world and all this. And my dad is kind of that guy where he can like go build a house, but he would come in whenever I was doing art stuff. And I remember doing a Degace art inspired thing for one of my classes. The whole point of this project was it was supposed to look like a little kid had done it, but like, (laughs) so we had to do it with markers. He came over and looked in my room while I was working on this. I had my earbuds in, didn't even know he was in my room. He just like snuck in and looked over my shoulder and was like, oh, that's some good art. (laughs) <laughs> like very generic there are so many moments in this film that it felt very similar to me where it's like mm-hmm. finally you get out of high school with this weird little click it everything feels so small and then you go to college or or wherever even if you don't go to college you you start to work in the real world and you meet you meet your people i feel like no matter how old you are you could watch this and relate family dynamic the little pug the pug confuses the robots in the film dog bread <laughs> dog bread it's so cute i i really love this film as well it's a great pick i will say thematically that this movie reminded me of an episode of the simpsons and maggie makes three it is one of the best like 30 <laughs> minutes of television ever if you know what i'm talking about you know that it's like sad and heartbreaking and beautiful and this movie brought up some of those notes High esteem for animation. It's a great fucking movie. Number four, The Last Duel. I think Ridley's films are always like competently made, but this film's kind of a masterpiece. You get it from the different perspectives. It's And it's like each little perspective kind of is its own mini Barry Lyndon. Once you get to chapter three, which is its own special, mind-blowing, wonderful thing. I got notes Mm -hmm. of The Handmaiden, which, that's a very good film, and I think a good compliment to this film. So Ridley just went out and made the best Me Too film. Yeah. It will not, it didn't make my top ten, but it's an honorable mention, a movie I really liked a lot. I think it's one of Ridley's best in a very long time, in my opinion. It's off the list. It's it's mm. one of my best of the year. Number one, not like best film of the year, but film I really jived with, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. I like those John Watts Spider-Man films. I think all of us like them pretty well. Guess what? I like those Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, at least two out of three. Those aren't bad. And I like Andrew Garfield as an actor. I wish his movies were a little bit better when he was Spider-Man. But I thought he was a good Spider-Man. You get all those things in one. And it's really good. And you know what? What, the third most popular movie of all time, according to Box Office Gross? Like, this movie's made a fuck ton of money. I think we can talk about spoiler shit, right? Go for it. So, uh, Willem Dafoe, he's up there with, like, the best of the comic book villains. This movie does what Spider-Man 1 should have. It's like, you have Willem Dafoe playing such a good villain... And his face that can contort itself into anything. Which just we, let him cook. We recently talked about Willem and To Live and Die in L.A., which he knows his angles. It, his performance is so good, and he can bring those angles. I love that in this. They were like, oh, we don't need to put a Green Goblin mask on him. He can just He can just pull those faces. It's not necessary. What I like about this film, I think that this movie's kind of messy in some aspects. Yeah. It's got a very, like, Return of the Jedi feel to it, where it's, like, big and bombastic and 
you kind of go through all your emotional beats, but also it's kind of a mess. So it, it works in the Marvel machine that's going on, but it also works in that those Sam Raimi movies are pretty good. And it gives you some nice emotional payoff to like what's going on with that. And then it gives you like a nice course correction for the Andrew Garfield movies. It's got a lot of Into the Spider-Verse vibes. It's not as good as that movie, but it also has, what, at this point, 20 years of nostalgia and history for like cinematic Spider-Man. Very emotionally rewarding and the action looks really good. Best boy crying since like Call Me By Your Name? Spider-Man. Pretty good. You listed several of mine, so I'll just go through these really quickly. I did for my my ties, I had the card counter, and I had uh, Batman No Way, or Batman, oh my gosh. Spider- Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Batman's next year. Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, moving on from that, I had Prisoners of the Ghostland. Nicolas Cage. Ugh, I love this renaissance that's happening right now of him. Well, it's so so good. Sano as a director is. Oh yeah yeah yeah. This this is another one I missed that I'll have to catch up. Four prisoners of Ghostland number three. I had Mitchell's and the Machines. I've already talked about it. I love this film. I think it's the best animated film that I saw this year. It hit every every button for me. It was very very sweet, very sad, very satisfying, very funny. I loved it. I thought it was very endearing, and I related to a lot of the content. Moving on, Bad Trip, number two. This film, again, it was, I think I kind of struggled through so much of the serious uh, content from this past year, as I always do, and I kind of cling to any comedy that's available, and I was very excited for this. I think that this screened at some festivals, so people that I follow on social media got to see it before I was just kind of waiting for it to finally drop on Netflix. Watched it the first night that it, that it was available, and I loved it. It was everything that we already talked about. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, Eric Andre is phenomenal. Tiffany Haddish. It, it was just very much needed, and these type of films, like Nolan said, the jackass humor and those type of shticky things appeal to me as well. So I loved it. And then my top film of the year was The Last Duel. I was really blown away by this film. I mean, I love Ridley, so it's not that I was surprised by it, but it's like we also, all of us, watched House of Gucci, and, <laughs> you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's that, sometimes it's this. The- More often than not, over the last 20 <laughs> years, it's been that. It's been that, <laughs> Alien Covenant, yeah. Body of Lies. yeah, yeah. The Last Duel just kind of, I don't know, it, again, it was, I love the film, but whenever you get to chapter three, and I don't want to spoil anything, I want people to watch this movie, I hope that you have by now, but whenever you get to that final chapter, it is so surprising and so nuanced and smart and something that you could relate this to of recent film Promising Young Woman, for me... Everything that that film was trying to say, this film said better for me. Not to not to be harsh and compare it in that way, but it's like, I feel like Promising Young Woman was a film that a lot of people were like, oh, this is so smart and it's saying a really big thing, but it's it's hitting you in the face with the, the message and it, it just didn't work for me. This film does hit you in the face with the message, 
but it also has just the nuance of it is mm-hmm. is polished and so slick. I love this movie, and it is a long one. It's it's like a what two plus three uh, two hour. and a half hours, and, half. and you need all of it. I think it's interesting that Ridley, in my mind, made one of the best Me Too movies, if oh. not the best. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's it's just the same as like. I think it's awesome that George Miller made one of the best action films from the last like at, at couple age, decades. At age seventy, and Martin something. Scorsese in Wolf of Wall Street made one of the most energetic batshit fan films. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I love seeing like these elder statesmen, like master craftsmen. Not to compare Last Duel to like those films that oh, I no, listed. No, no. It's not that good, <laughs> but. I mean, this is probably, in my mind, like, the best Ridley since Kingdom of Heaven. Director's Cut's a masterpiece. Are you ready to to take us out? Let's do it. Uh, Great list, both of you. So I will finish here with my number one. Speaking of elder filmmakers, my number one of both my new movie of 2021 and my discovery are from the same filmmaker. So first, I'm going to go with my favorite 2021 film, and that would be Siming Lang's Days. Uh, Kang lives alone in a big house, non in a small apartment in town. They meet and then part, their days flowing on as before. Anyone who has seen a Siming Lang film knows that uh, he is director of kind of school, just slow cinema. This is a movie I was lucky enough to see in the theater. And it was one of the best experiences I've had in the last couple of years, for sure. Psy makes what I call contemplative cinema. As a viewer, I can't think of a bigger compliment. Uh, meticulous, meditative, isolated, and voyeuristic embosom. Haven't felt this emotionally connected in some time. It felt ex- exciting. Uh, will always respond to the way Psy uses his camera, not only in the way his uh, he films bodies, but particularly the way he shoots bodies and in unsociable space this is kind of just it's it's a movie about a a man who has some ailments of sorts and he gets treatment done on his body you get a lot of these long takes of him going through some of this uh the film opens with him kind of just by himself watching a rainstorm and it's very beautiful like i said it's very contemplative and the centerpiece of the film is uh these two uh, our main character uh calls on a uh, masseuse uh, who also is a prostitute who comes in his hotel room and gives him this erotic massage it's one of the most sensual sexual erotic things i've seen in some time the massage leads to a hand job and these type of things, but as they do, it's, it's a beautiful scene. Like it's, it's quite touching. Um, I'm doing the film to service, but it, it, it's, it was an experience and Sai is just such a strong filmmaker. So go watch it. And then my number one film of my, my number one discovery of 2021 is Siming Lang's goodbye dragon in. Yep. Yep. I haven't seen this, but I knew this was because yep. <laughs> I, I saw you loved this film. Yes. Uh, yeah. From 2003, uh, on a dark, rainy night, historic and regal Taipei cinema sees its final film, the 1967 martial arts feature Dragon Inn. As the film plays, the lives of the theater's various employees and patrons intersect in 
two ghostly actors arrive to mourn the passing of an era. Uh, again, this also stars Lee Kong-shang and Shin xiang Chi or Chai, I'm sorry. It's a love letter to the cinema and what's not there anymore. And anyway, uh, I watched this movie from the Blu-ray disc from a UK label called Second Run. Uh, Like I said, I hadn't felt this emotionally connected with a piece of art in some time. The loneliness and emptiness of the spaces and the people that permeate said space reflects uh, so much in the world most of us have lived over the last couple years. The whole film takes place inside a theater, an experience I haven't been a part of for quite a while at the time I wrote that. I have a few times since, but there are many funny moments, awkward moments, erotic moments, grotesque moments, moments of sadness, moments of pure joy, moments of quietness, and moments of being alone. All the senses of the body, and these all are part of seeing a film and seeing one in a theater with strangers and outsiders. Uh, I thought this was a special film. Would highly recommend it. Psy is a master so you should check both of these films out, and I am done. With uh, all this said, uh, you you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Cinema Parlor. So yes, give us some ratings, reviews, if you feel up to it. Um, you can find me personally at Chuck Madden Jr. on Letterboxd. You can find me at Esclover84 on Letterboxd? That's right. You can find me at Plastic Werewolf on all social media. All right. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks after uh, you've listened to this long-ass episode. We hope you enjoy it, because we've had fun. We're out of here. We'll see you guys. Bye! Burning like my blood's in a pan on a stove And it's heating me up to the max So I'm running my legs just as fast as I can To the left, to the right, I'm a frustrated man Now I'm flicking my tiptoes to kick up the sand Cause I can't understand all this fire that's raging inside me Seagulls in the sand, can you hear my prayer? I keep trying, but I'm getting nowhere. Hell's in a fog, I'm under her spell. Am I in heaven or am I in hell? Leaping, doing the splits from my heart, going higher and higher. My legs spread apart, now I'm twirling. Like a baby ballerina who's digging a hole with the force of his feet. Watch me climbing. I'm going up a palm tree like a cat up a palm tree who's decided to go up a palm tree. See you on the tire. Can you hear my prayer? I keep trying, but I'm getting nowhere. It's in a fog. I'm under her spell.
Hey. 